Amen. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to take it out and open up to the Gospel of John, chapter 12. Uh, we'll, beginning at, we'll be beginning at verse 12. John, chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, the disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize these things that had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look at how the whole world has gone after him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Bible says that as Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, he sent two of them to get a donkey and a colt. This fulfilled the prophecy in Zechariah. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus mounted the donkey and rode into Jerusalem. Many laid their cloaks on the road before him, and brought palm branches to wave and celebrate. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the son of David. But not all who were there understood him. Some called him only a prophet, believing him wise, but denying his divinity. Some raged and cheered for a revolution, hoping he would liberate them from their oppressors. To others, he was nothing more than an interruption. Even as children ran to him and shouted for joy, his enemies wove through the crowd, watching, seething, plotting. The range of reactions was great and wide. Celebration, worship, revolutions, deception, cynicism, condemnation, boredom, disinterest, but every single person had to confront one thing, who he was. Behold, your king is coming to you. One of my uh, favorite games to play uh, with our older boys, and I, I played it with our confirmation students a few months back as well, is, is a game called Would You Rather. How many of you have played the game? Just show of hands, a couple of you. Um, if you haven't, it's, it's a very simple game. You, you ask everyone to choose between two choices that are not easy. For example, I'll, I'll start with a very deep one, okay? I know it's early in the morning, but would you rather kiss a frog or hug a porcupine? It's a tough one, right? 
right? Right? Here's another one. Would you rather travel back in time or forward into the future? Would you rather be wealthy with no friends or would you rather be poor with many friends? This is the way we play the game. And this game came to my mind as I was studying the reading today and I thought about what today is, Palm Sunday. See, would you rather questions, a good would you rather question is designed to be difficult, to make you think, not easy to answer. And what is unfolding before our eyes poses a number of would you rather questions. Today is the sixth Sunday in our Lenten series, Back to the Basics, where we've been studying the basics of our faith as we follow Jesus from his baptism in the Jordan River to today, his final week, that begins with the triumphant entry into Jerusalem and ends on a cross, later in a borrowed tomb, and by next Sunday, beyond all of those things, to the resurrected life that we celebrate on Easter. Now, I usually say, though, on Palm Sunday that if you were an innocent bystander just watching the events that are taking place in our reading for the first time, you would be forgiven if you thought that today was the end of the story. Maybe you made a mistake in your calendar. It has been a crazy year. Maybe Easter came early. A great crowd has gathered in Jerusalem for the Jewish Passover. They're looking for Jesus. And when he came, they waved their palm branches and yelled, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Now these words come from one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 118. It's a psalm of victory for Israel. It's a psalm that sings the celebration of a king who saves. That's the word Hosanna. That means save us. And so what they're saying to Jesus is save us. It sounds more like a Billy Graham revival than anything else. And he comes. And he comes riding on a donkey. And riding on a donkey is what would be foreshadowed over 500 years ago by the prophet Zechariah who was telling the people uh, what the hope would look like when their king would come back after they had just been exiled in a place called Babylon. They returned to Jerusalem and Zechariah speaks God's word of a future king that would come and bring them hope. And in the very next verse, after it speaks of how Jesus would come into Jerusalem, it says this, verse 10, He will proclaim peace to the nations. He will rule and his rule will extend from sea to sea and from river to the ends, from the river to the ends of the earth. And so I paint this brief picture to show you that these people in this crowd have been watching and waiting for hope for generations, for generations. This is the kind of thing that that you no longer are necessarily even looking for for yourself, but you want it for your children and for your grandchildren. And on Palm Sunday, it's here, or so it seems. And it poses the question for the people that are gathered there and the people that are gathered here today, if Jesus is the long-awaited king, what kind of king would you rather he be? What kind of king would you rather he be? Would you rather a king who's willing to go along with the masses or a king who's unwavering in his focus? 
A king who never shows emotion in an open way is stoic in his strength or one who openly sheds tears and shows weakness. Are are you looking for a king who rests in his own power or one who lays down that power for the needs of others? Would you rather a king who offers to take away all your pain and suffering today Or one who offers to transform that pain and suffering into hope and faith that lasts forever. Friends, these are the would-you-rather questions that, that we need to grapple with as we enter into what is the holiest of weeks. And on the surface, because you're in church, or you're at home in church, you might think you know the answer because you know that today isn't Easter. But the truth is, if we seek to follow King Jesus, I will contend that you and I are faced with these questions every single day. Just, just for example, think about your prayers. What do you ask God for in your prayers? And, and I have to tell you, this is better than I could have come up with. I was practicing my sermon yesterday, and my three-year-old Sophie was with me. Uh, sometimes I'll bring one of them with me. And uh, I used to do this with our oldest son, and he would sit just very nicely on the front pew. And Sophie, if you've met Sophie, she's like running around in every pew. And I'm just kind of running through my sermon, and I didn't realize she was listening. And I got to this part where I was practicing out loud, and I said, what do you ask God for? And she perked her head up at one of the pews, and she said, I asked God for food. And I thought, that's an honest answer. Because <laughs> we pray and we thank God for food every single time we sit at the dinner table. What do you ask God for? Oftentimes, are your prayers asking God for, for whatever it is you want or you need? Uh, when you pray to God about a situation, are you asking for his will or are you asking for your will? When you're up against a challenge, are you asking for salvation from that challenge Or are you open that God might use that challenge for his good and for the good of others? See, what what all this really comes down to is what do we expect of Jesus as our king? What do we expect of Jesus as our king? And, and, And we see the different expectations play out in the events that lead up to Palm Sunday. Just one chapter earlier in John chapter 11, we read a familiar story of Jesus raising his friend Lazarus from the grave. You remember this story. It's only like a month and a half ago as part of our Hitting a Wall series. We actually talked about this story. So I'm not going to go into all of the details today. But in a nutshell, Jesus has some dear friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, two sisters and a brother. The sisters call to Jesus because Lazarus is sick. And Jesus comes to him, but he comes to him at the time where he's already died. He got so sick that he died, and he was in a grave for four days. Jesus came to the grave, and he literally called upon the Father. Life was breathed back into Lazarus, and Lazarus walked out of the grave. They said his body already smelled, and he was alive, and he walked out of the grave, and they took the grave clothes off of him. It's an amazing story, isn't it? I mean, if you saw this today, it's just incredible. But it posed a question, a question for those who saw it and a question for those who hear about the story, and that is, would you rather have everything you want today or have everything you need forever? Would you rather have everything you want today or everything you need forever? Now, the question was posed because it seemed at this point that if Jesus 
could do this for Lazarus, could he not do anything for us? What couldn't he bring to us as our king? The, the loved ones, they, they wanted Lazarus back. They wanted him on earth. They wanted him around the dinner table. They wanted him alive for another Christmas. And the truth is, sometimes there, there isn't actually anything wrong with that. The thing about a would-you-rather question is, is oftentimes it's kind of impossible because you choose to have both, right? We want to have both sides, and, and I would want that too. Jesus graces them by giving them that. But, but the question is, is that all Jesus came to bring? And if you had to choose between that and eternal life, which one would you choose? See, it should be an easy answer, but it isn't. It's not, for the answer, it's not an easy answer for the one who is on their deathbed or the one whose loved one is on their deathbed. Now, now let me be clear about something, because I don't want you to think I'm reading into the text here. Jesus doesn't give these two options to Lazarus. He's not asking him to pick between the two. Actually, he doesn't ask Lazarus anything. Lazarus is dead. <laughs> Lazarus can't answer the question anyway. And, and choosing hope for all of eternity doesn't mean that God isn't still willing to bring us what we want or need today, albeit temporarily. Because, see, even though Lazarus will be raised, eventually he will still die. See, this healing is a temporary one. And so is every single answer to your temporal prayers and mine on this side of heaven. See, when Sophie asks God for food, her little tummy gets hungry again. When we pray, let's say you're praying for a new home. Someday, a different family is going to live in that home. I remember a friend of mine I, I grew up with, he, he actually bought a house a number of years ago, just a block or two from the elementary school that we grew up attending together. And this house, it's, it's in beautiful downtown Richmond, Illinois, if you've ever been through there. Uh, house was built like late 1800s, early 1900s. And I remember just sitting in his kitchen and talking about the fact that with every layer of wallpaper, there's another family and another story. There have been people who've lived in that house well before they have, and Lord willing, there's going to be families who are going to live there after. Are you praying for a new job? Well, someday somebody else is going to have that job, or, or someday the business you work for isn't going to exist. Now, doesn't mean that these things are unimportant. It just means these things are temporary. And I think about that when I, I think about this new child that God has graced my family with, that, that my wife Alyssa is, is carrying. We're, we're already praying that this child will be healthy when he's born. That's, that's the way the saying goes, right? We say that we want children to be happy and healthy. Now, now I've had a lot of babies in my house. I think a more realistic hope would be uh, that they would be hungry and healthy because <laughs> that's a little bit more happiness comes after a couple of months, I think. But, but even if all that comes true and God gives us the answer to our prayers, this child's life is already ticking. Even in the womb, this child is one day closer to their eventual death. I mean, we don't talk about it that way, but it's true. 70, 80, 90 years from now, Lord willing, this child who hasn't even been born yet will be an older man. And I think about that. When I think about last Sunday, I attended a a funeral for, for a pastor in Delavan, 68-year-old Gary Sisk, passed away from COVID. His mother is still alive. He and his wife, Shelly, they, they lost their own daughter a few years back now. 
What about, what about the 10 people who, who were senselessly murdered in Colorado in that supermarket this past week or, or those who were killed in the massage parlors in Atlanta? And I point all these things out just as examples, recent examples, how in the grand scheme of things, even, even if God gives us what we want, the greatest miracles in life, are rendered meaningless in the end unless they point to something greater. Unless they point to something greater. And the invitation of Palm Sunday is that we would choose the greater thing. Jesus explained to the sister of Lazarus, Martha, what his true purpose was, why he came to raise Lazarus from the grave. Look at verse 25 of John chapter 11. Jesus said to her, this before he did what he came to do, he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? This is what Jesus came to bring. Resurrection. Not just for those who've died, but also a resurrected life for those who are still alive. Ask yourself this question. How might you be free to live your life today if you know that your eternal needs are met forever? See, that's the freedom that Jesus came to bring. And so he raised Lazarus as a sign of what was to come. And just like Palm Sunday is an Easter, raising Lazarus isn't the main event either, but it did draw a line in the sand, and people needed to start to take their places on each side of the would-you-rather question. Look at verse 45. Therefore, this is after Jesus raised Lazarus from the grave, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary, one of his sisters, and had seen what Jesus had done, believed in him. But then there were others who went to the Pharisees. And they told them what Jesus had done, and the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is a man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe him, and then the Romans will come, and they will take away both our temple and our nation. Do you see what's happening here? They're beginning to realize that in order to take hold of the resurrected life Jesus came to bring, they need to let go of the life that they have first. And John says that while some were ready to do that, it says they believed, there were others that were not. And specifically, they were afraid of the government taking away their temple, their right to worship, their nation. Never mind the temple and the Roman Empire both gone today. They chose to hold on to what is temporary. And friends, we do the same thing. We do the same thing whenever our ultimate battle in life is for our own power and our own position, whether it's in our government or in our world, whether it's in our family, whether it's in our marriages. And every time we do this, we're no better than they were. See, Jesus came to invite us to something better, to choose the greater thing, even if it comes at the expense of what you want today. And how can we do that with confidence? Well, if your focus is on heaven... 
You're no longer held captive to what the masses on earth are calling you to do. If your strength is from the one who came down from heaven, you're set free to shed tears and blood. If your power originates in heaven, then you should have no problem laying down your power on earth for the benefit of those around you. And if your hope is secure in heaven, then you have faith to endure the pain in this moment knowing that it will be transformed into something beautiful that will last forever. Which brings us back to the question I asked at the beginning. What kind of king would you rather have? Jesus came to show us the way to the resurrected life and to be a resurrected king. Jesus kept the focus on the Father as the crowds on Palm Sunday clamored for something else. He shed tears over the brokenness of this world that comes from our rebellion, our sin. He laid down his power and his life so that you and I might live. He endured the cross because he knew that it was the only way to offer us hope and faith that will last forever. And to close, I want to share a quote I read yesterday by a former Franciscan priest and theologian, Brennan Manning. He He once wrote this, he said, Suffering, failure, loneliness, sorrow, discouragement, death. Experience any of those things? Suffering, failure, loneliness, sorrow, discouragement, and death will be part of your journey, but the kingdom of God will conquer all of these horrors. No evil can resist grace forever. Easter's coming, and the question of Palm Sunday is, what kind of king would you rather Jesus be? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank and praise you. We thank and praise you that you are with us now, and that we are not alone as we ask these questions that we are like both those who said, I believe, and we are like those who chose to cling to the things that are temporary. There's something beautiful and good and truthful about the fact that there were crowds of people in Jerusalem, crowds of people that were, that were clinging to this call, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, save us, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, you are the one who came in the name of the Lord. You are the Lord. You are our king. And so help us this week as we enter into this holiest of weeks to grapple with what kind of king we would rather you be. That you love us and you promise to us like a good father to meet our needs and to be with us. But more than all of those things, you promise to meet our needs from an eternal perspective. And that truth and that grace allows us to lay down our life, a life that that we don't lay down without first watching you lay down yours for us. We love because you first loved us. And so God, help us to, to see just how deep and wide that love is and your sacrifice. 
as you come into Jerusalem to ultimately be condemned to a death that you did not deserve, to be beaten, to be spit on, to be disrespected, and to be taken to a cross and hung on that tree to pay a price we could never pay so that three days later you could rise from the grave in a way that would be called the firstborn of many and the firstborn of all who believe. Lord, help us to believe as we enter this week now. It is in Jesus' name we pray.